you here with us. If you have received a visitor's pack, uh, at this time if you would pass your cards to the aisle, we'll have some gentlemen who are seemingly missing in action to uh, come by and pick those up. What that would affirm to me is there is no one here who has those. So it's great to see you all this morning. I am thankful that uh, I have the opportunity uh, to be able to uh, work with uh, Brother Michael on this idea of teaching through the book of Joshua. Let me encourage you to grab your Bible and turn that Bible to Joshua chapter number 7. Please let me know. Yeah, there it is. We're going to look at the idea from Joshua chapter 7 that there is sin in the camp. As we look at that, let's go back for a moment and really pick up where we are. Joshua, leading the nation of Israel after the death of Moses, comes into the promised land with force. He does not come in with his own force, as if the nation of Israel is just something great because of him. He doesn't come in with his own force as if Moses could not have led the people this way. He comes in wielding realistically the force of God and having God do those things and put them where he wants them to be. We see them coming over a flooding Jordan River. You know, the, the more I study that, the more I think about that. When I was younger, I, really, I thought that they're just crossing a river. That's not anything nearly as big as, flood, as crossing that uh, Red Sea. And they did it in the same fashion, always walking across on dry land. The more I read in Joshua, what I understand is they're crossing over a flooding river, and the flooding has to stop all the way back to the city of Adam. And the water begins to stack up in heaps. And this is not just a, a sea that doesn't change or very uh, doesn't change very much in its in its depth. This is raging waters. And God stops that. When they come across that Jordan River, they begin to rekindle that covenant because there are some of those who have yet to have the physical markings of being in the covenant with God. Uh, Joshua chapter 5, there is a great circumcision that goes on in the camp. And from that point in time, God begins to show them why they are in that particular covenant and how that particular covenant benefits them. The next group of people they run into are, to say they're in a panic, to say they are, are scared of what would be the upcoming events, is the understatement of the Bible. We hear that from the one who is the harlot in town. She said, we've heard about you, we know what you can do, we know what you have been doing, and so we as a group of people in Jericho are terrified. You remember that, that uh, promise that was made to her, if you'll put that cord outside of your window, if you'll stay inside the house, then, then we will protect you, but if you come outside of the house, we can't offer that protection anymore. And thus we find ourselves looking in Joshua chapter 7. Let's look at it in the broad scope. Uh, there was a point last week 
in which Michael was preaching, and it was point number three, and he said that, that the people in uh, chapter 6 uh, were giving unto the Lord. And they gave everything that they had. You notice them giving all that they have as they listen to this plan that strategically doesn't make any sense. You know, that's not the plan they used to take over every city in the promised land. It was just Jericho. You know, no other army in the world has ever tried that plan since then. Do you know why? Because we look at it and we go, there's no way that's going to work. Walk around a city for a total of 13 times. Twelve of those times being extremely quiet. The last time, blow a war trumpet and everybody holler and the walls fall down. That doesn't happen. It did there. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 11 would uh, uh, reinforce that idea of it happening. happening. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. This nation, as we're reading them in, Genesis, or in Joshua chapter 6, gave everything. They gave of their trust. They gave of their hope. They gave of their desires. They gave everything. Uh, almost. Almost. See, everything within the story or within the uh, account contained in Joshua chapter 6 seemingly went off just as well as God would have planned it. Just like God would have said, except, except Joshua 7 happens. And what we find out in Joshua chapter 7 is not everything went just as well as we thought that it would. While most of the nation of Israel was following right along, while most of the nation of Israel, and I, I would even go as far as to say 99.9% of Israel were in step with what God would have them do throughout the book uh, or throughout the, the chapter of 6, there is Achan. And there is his family. And while they put on a good show, they're not nearly as loyal as you think they are. They're not nearly as bought into God's plan as we would hope they are. They're not sold on it the way Joshua is and the way Caleb is and the way their, their men at arms standing right beside him, Achan. There's a seed of doubt. There is a, a, just a flake of greed. And in Joshua chapter 7, all of those things become revealed. And yet, the sin that's in the camp is not known yet. Let's go back to verse 2, as Michael read so aptly for us, verse 1. You know, by the way, do you know why I'm not going to verse 1? I can't say those names as well as Michael did, so we'll just go to verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and speaking to them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai, and they returned to Joshua. And they said, Let not all the people go up, but let two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, for they are few. And so that's what happened. As they look at this particular city, 
They're viewing it in comparison to Jericho, for which they have just destroyed. And perhaps, verse number 3, has just a a hint uh, of selfish pride about it. We don't need all of that amount of people. We just need two or 3,000. We can easily defeat AI. And if you were up on that ridge and you were looking down there, you'd probably agree with them. AI is not a big city. It's not uh, ferocious in the way it looks. It's, uh, it's a cakewalk. They're a pushover. We don't have to carry everybody. We can just carry a couple thousand, which in the grand scheme of things is a tiny amount of people as you look at the, the uh, army of Israel. We could just carry just a couple thousand, go over there and destroy them. And everything should have gone off just the way they planned it, looking at it. But what they run into is a crushing defeat. What they run into is uh, the, the ultimate in what you and I think of as David and Goliath, in which I guess David and Goliath would be the ultimate on that, wouldn't it? A small city that, that should not have been victorious beat the nation of Israel not just a little bit. Not just defeated them in battle, but beat them so severely that everyone comes home scratching their head saying, what happened? As a matter of fact, in the the defeat, which should not have been, the nation of Israel lost 36 people. Well, 36 doesn't sound like a lot, does it? That's the same way we view surgery. You know, it's a minor surgery, unless it's happening to me. When we look at the loss of 36, we say, well, it was a battle. 36 is not a lot, unless it's your father or brother or husband. The morale of Israel has hit rock bottom. They should have won. They should have won soundly. Even with just two or three thousand, they should have been able to defeat Ai and walk away from there with their heads held high. They should not even lost a person. And the problem is something they don't even know yet. Their morale is low. There's sin in the camp. They don't even know it. Everybody is coming off a a high victory from Jericho, thinking we cannot be beaten. We cannot be destroyed. We are God's people. God has given us this victory. (laughs) And they lose. And they are defeated. And now, in verse 6 through 13, now it's revealed. 
See, Joshua doesn't come back and just say, well, we lost that one. Maybe what we should do is re-strategize and maybe we'll take more people and, and they won't beat us then. I'm going to tell you something. And I cannot prove this with Scripture, but I'm going to prove it hopefully with principle here. Joshua could have carried the entire army in its entire force, everything descending on Ai with sin still in the camp, and they would have lost. They would have lost. It was never about Ai. It was always about Israel. And so... In verse number 6, as we begin, Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the ground, and he began to pray to the God of Israel and put dust on his head. And he said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou all brought up this people over Jordan to deliver us to the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God that he had been content and dwell on the other side of Jordan. You brought us over here just to defeat us? Do me a favor. Go back to Joshua chapter 1. Three times in verse number 6, verse number 7, verse number 9, he says, Be strong and of good courage. When you look back at verse number, or chapter number 6, here's what he says in verse number 2. And this is going to be. The, the statement that God continues to make to Joshua and the people, I have given, in this case, Jericho unto you. Now do these things. Joshua is speaking out of frustration, speaking out of emotion, as he says, why did you bring us here to, to kill us? He didn't bring them here to do that. He said, I've given you these things. I need you to be strong and of good courage. I have given you Jericho. I've given you this. I've given you that. Now you have to go and get it the right way. Question. This is a trick question. Did Israel and all of Israel defeat Jericho and follow God's law completely? No. Chapter 7. No. Joshua is told by God, verses 13 or 6 through 13, get up. Joshua's fallen down on his face. He's crying out in, in question before the Lord. He's praying to him, tell me what I should do. And God says, get up. Dry your eyes. Any of you older folks like me ever have your mama or father say, if you don't quit crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. This is the Old Testament version of that. Get up, dry your eyes. We've got work to do. Is there a problem? Yes, there is a problem. No doubt about it, there is a problem that Israel is going to have to confront. 
Is it a problem that they cannot do anything with? Oh, no. As a matter of fact, God would say to, to, to a Joshua, get up, dry your eyes, and the nation of Israel is going to have to become separate. It's going to have to become set apart. It's going to have to become sanctified. It's going to have to become different again. Now, did you hear that? Again. It once was, but now it is not. Why? Because there's sin in the camp. Again. Which begs the question, can a child of God fall away? Joshua chapter 7 says they can. Was the nation of Israel the children of God at this point in time? Shake or not? Yes. Was God satisfied with them and how they were pleasing Him? No. Did they have to do something in order to restore that relationship? Yes. Can a child of God fall away? If they could in the Old Testament, they can in the New. You get up, dust yourself off, and let's begin the process. Now this sin that's in the camp is revealed. Joshua. I want you to line all the nation of Israel up. And I want you to separate everyone into tribes. There are 12. And I want those tribes to walk in front of you and those ruling until I tell you to tell them to stop. So tribe by tribe by tribe, men would walk by. Stop. Now, this tribe, I want you to break into households and have every household walk by of this one tribe. I wonder, and this has no bearing one way or another, but I wonder if the other 11 tribes who were not guilty were sent home. Wonder if this punishment was out in public in front of everyone or if it was uh, a private matter. Household by household begins to funnel by, and God says, Stop. As this household stops, I want man by man to come by, and they begin to walk one, then another, then another. Then another, and God says, stop. And there he is. Achan. There he is. What's the problem with the 26 people who suffered defeat, or the 36 people who suffered defeat at Ai? What's the problem with the nation of Israel? Why is Joshua beside himself crying? Why, why is he distraught over the entire nation? Because of this guy right here. When those tribes, families, and men walk by, it is the fact that God is going to point out sin. And don't think for one second He doesn't point it out today. 
I won't ask you to hold your hand up because that might be embarrassing. How many of you ever in your lifetime ever did something thinking it would never come back on you and it did? Mm-hmm. There he is. You're not going to hide sin. You're not going to hide sin from God. And the fact of the matter is, sometimes we think we can. Because it never catches up with us here. It never comes to light here. But I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to hide it from him. It will come to light. It will all come out in the wash. If you never give account for it, if I never give account for it while I'm here, that day that I stand face to face with him, I'll give an account for it. But here we have a man who is meeting judgment face to face. For what? For what the King James would call a goodly Babylonian garment. You know what that is? A really cool shirt. A shirt, some coins of silver, and a wedge of gold. Now, every time we speak about chapter 7, I guess I, I make this, uh, this statement and this uh, idea about what he, ta- what he has taken. And I need you to understand what he's taken. Because... This Babylonian garment is so different from what he has. Because it is so rare and, and individualized. He has taken a shirt he can't wear. Because this Babylonian silver is imprinted with the mint of Babylon, he's taken silver he can't spend. And because of the nature of his family and this gold, now he's taking a wedge of gold that he can't even turn into money. He's taking three things that are practically useless to him. Because they tickled his fancy. Because he liked the way they looked. Because he desired to have those things. Because maybe no one was watching over his shoulder telling him not to. There's a bigger principle than him just taking three things. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 3. And as you and I look at the book of Proverbs chapter 3. I got Proverbs in here. There it is. Solomon going to write something here in Proverbs chapter 3 that has been an ongoing principle for God and his people. It is just the point now in Proverbs chapter 3 where Solomon, by the inspiration of God, writes this down. Look at verse number, uh, let's verse number 7. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Hear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel. And marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and all thine be filled with plenty, and thy presses burst out with new wine. And you may be looking at that saying, Billy has lost his mind. 
That doesn't have anything to do with this chapter. And I'm going to say to you there, I, I, I beg to differ. Here's the principle laid forth in Proverbs chapter 3, especially verse 9. You give God the first fruits in expectation of getting the next fruits. And you say, preacher, I, I understand that. I can, I can read that. All right, make the application with Jericho. What was the first city they came across to destroy in the promised land? Jericho. All of it, even God has said this in, in chapter 6, all of it belongs to God in expectation of getting those next defeats. And Ai, or Achan rather, has violated this principle. It belongs to God. How do you know that? Well, from chapter 8 forward we get, now you can take the spoils of war. Now you can get this. Now you can take that. Jericho is not the same way. Jericho is the first fruits and should be set aside for God. Everything mentioned in chapter 6 was mentioned to go to the storehouse of the temple. Why? Because it all belongs to God. You want the next fruit, Israel? You had better give the first fruit to God. And Achan didn't do that. He said, God will accept 99.9%, .9 but maybe this shirt and this gold and this silver, God will overlook. I'm here to tell you this. He's not going to overlook it. Not in the case of Achan, not even in the case of us. As we are required by God to give to him because it is a benefit to us. As we give him of our time and our money and our, uh, our attention and our, our talent. Can't hold back. Since Jericho was the first victory, it all belonged to God. And Joshua chapter 1, or chapter 7 rather, verse number 1, you'll read this phrase, because Achan took the accursed thing. It was only accursed because he took it and took it to his place. You don't read in there where God's house is full of the accursed thing, do you? No. It's the means and the method by which those things were used. Or in this case, not used. And now sin is punished. Joshua asks Achan... In his best Alabama Southern. Son, what have you done? What in the world have you brought into this camp? And Achan tells him. 
Achan exposes what he did. He said, Joshua said, well, go get it. And he had to go to his tent and dig it out of the ground. By the way, here's a principle for you in life. If you got to sneak to do something, it's wrong. Achan, oh, just hiding it here. Yeah, why are you hiding it? Mm-hmm. The punishment in Joshua chapter 7 seems to be very drastic, doesn't it? I'm going to kill you and your family. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why are we killing the family? Don't you know about Ezekiel 18 verse 20, God? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither the father the iniquity of the son. Don't you know that? Do you know about Proverbs chapter 15, where mankind is individually punished? Yes. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches that from cover to cover. What you'll read about in Numbers chapter 16 is a group of people being punished because they follow after Korah in a big rebellion against Moses. You know what that tells me? If his family is punished, they were involved. They were involved. Were they involved in the cover-up? I don't know. Were they involved in the stealing? I don't know. But I know this. The righteous God of heaven and earth doesn't just arbitrarily punish people. Here you have a man and his family who were stoned to death because they took the accursed thing. It's Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, where Isaiah would write that it is our sins individually that separated us from our God. It is not the fact that God's hand is short that he can't reach out. It's not the fact that his ear is dull of hearing that he can't hear. It's not the fact that his shoulder is not big enough to carry the burden. But it's my sin that's caused this. This family cover-up happens... According to Joshua chapter 7, the last verse or two there. In a valley that is renamed Achor. After Achan and his family, it means trouble. Now, do all y'all know where trouble lives? Or is that just an Alabama thing? Trouble lives on Trouble Street. Mm-hmm. Every time anyone passes through this valley and hears this name of Acor Valley, what are they thinking of? This is where it happened. This is where the trouble was taken out of, of or the sin rather, was taken out of Israel. This is where Achan and his family died. Because trouble lives on Trouble Street. When sin is exposed... Sin is punished. I wish that was just a, an Old Testament idea. I wish it was the fact that, that as a child of God, even today underneath the new law, we don't have the ability anymore to sin. The fact is this. If I have the ability and the God-given ability to choose, I have the ability to choose wrong. Or correctly, depending on how I want to choose. 
Here's some rules and some uh, lessons for us from Joshua chapter number 7. There can be sin in the camp even right now. Even as we sit here, there can be those who are harboring public or private sins that need to be taken care of. And for the majority of us, we may never know. We may just be happy as clams thinking everything is, is just fine. Just like that army that was overlooking AI saying, we can take these folks, only to come up defeated. Why, don't, why doesn't this plan work, and why doesn't that thing work, and we're trying to do this and this other thing, and why don't they ever pr produce the same fruit that we want them to have? Perhaps there's sin in the camp. Perhaps it's time to purify and to become clean before God. From Joshua chapter 7, understand this. Sin will always be revealed. Always. There's not going to be one single sin that escapes the revelation of God. Whether it's revealed on this side of eternity or not. And number three, in this particular chapter, when sin is revealed, it's going to be punished. It's going to be punished. God, that perfect, holy, righteous God, cannot allow sin to continue. It must be punished. And he sent us the answer. God in a human form. John chapter 1 and verse number 14. And we beheld his glory. As of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And God sent His Son to get rid of this problem, but, you know, we from time to time decide that we're better than that. I don't do that, preacher. Well, if you decide to follow self, you do. We may not say those words out loud because of the way they sound, but that's how we live. Sin can be in the camp even today. Sin will always be revealed. Sin will always be punished. And trouble follows us when we decide to follow self and not God. Because what we do is we walk right down into the valley of Achor. Right down Trouble Street. And what we think is what we foolishly thought when we were 14, 15, 16 years old. <laughs> I can do this. Mm-hmm. How's that worked out for you? The blessing that God has given us today is this blessing. He has not punished Sin today the same way he did in this account with Joshua chapter 7. Because if he did, the stage would be empty, the pews would be empty, and those who were online with us would be empty. But what God has offered us as a blessing is an opportunity to come back. 
an opportunity to come to him through understanding what he has to say and believing those things through repentance, confession, and baptism, you can be added to the family of God and have those sins that are so uh, readily seen in our lives by God washed away. Not to have to rewash them away next year, as we read about in Hebrews chapter 10, but washed away forever. Non-existent. That's the new covenant. These folks in Joshua chapter 7 were underneath the covenant. And they can still chose wrong. Which means as I live underneath the covenant of God today, I can still choose right or wrong. Maybe I've chosen wrong, and I can't understand why everything that I have is collapsing in on me and, and everything seems to be pushing down on me. Maybe it's time to come back home. Set your priorities right. Get rid of the accursed thing. Brother or sister, what are you waiting for? Come home right now while we stand and sing to encourage you.